Good morning. I guess it would be safe to say that uh, the year 2020 has definitely been an interesting year, to say the least. However, let's hit rewind here, and let's go back to the year 1809, okay? Because... Um, some very significant things happened in the year 1809. You see, the international scene, even though it was quite turbulent, a war was going on in Austria because Napoleon and his armies were, were, were sweeping across that country. And um, during this time, nobody cared about births. New lives beginning. But you see, this year was significant because the world was overlooking some very significant births. For example, William Gladstone was born that year, and he was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. In that same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife, and uh, he would later greatly affect the world in a very unique manner. And over here in America, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in, in Cambridge. And not too far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful yet tragic life. It was also that same year that a physician by the last name of Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Robert. However, that same year, produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin not too far from here actually in Hardin County, Kentucky. That baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. Now that was a very significant birth. And if there had been news broadcasts um, at this time I'm certain that these words would have been heard. The destiny of the world is being shaped on an Austrian battlefield today. But you see, history was actually being shaped and influenced in cradles in England and in America. Because you see, similarly, everyone thought that back in Jesus' day, at the time of his birth, that taxation was big news. And it kind of was, but you see... The biggest news was that of a young Jewish woman cradling the biggest news of all in her arms, the birth of our Savior. This morning our text is going to be Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12, says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, <clears throat> he was troubled, <clears throat> Excuse me, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judah. For so it was written by the prophet. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of, Ju of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And, you in, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. From our text this morning, there's some very interesting things that are reaching out to me. And I feel that these very interesting things need to be brought to our attention. Because you see, even as a baby, it appears that Jesus is already shaking things up. Have we noticed that? Jesus is already beginning to shake things up. And this morning, I'm, I'm going to share three questions that we need to be asking ourselves this morning about how is he shaking up our lives and how are we showing that in our lives today? And the way we answer these questions should let us know if we are truly seeking him or not. If we are seeking Christ, the first question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we allowing Christ to influence us? Are we allowing Christ to influence us? Again, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, this is what it says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. In other words, Jesus is already attracting people. He's already attracting people. And Matthew tells us very little about his birth. You see, Matthew tells us what happened after his birth. Luke, too, gives us the, uh, the, uh, the details of his birth. But you see, Matthew tells us of what happened after Jesus' birth while they were still in Bethlehem. E e even quite some time after he, he, his birth. But Jesus is already attracting. I'm going to take a little lighthearted turn here, but uh, aren't babies just adorable? Let's just go out and say it. Babies are adorable, and, um, and when it comes to babies, how many of us are total pushovers? I admit it. When it comes to babies, Adam Shepard is a pushover. I think babies are the neatest little people. And um, I'm looking out in our in our sanctuary today, and there's a few of you that I got to hold as babies. But you see, babies have influence on their families as soon as they're born. 
Have we noticed that? Don't babies have influence on us? As soon as they're born, all of our attention is on the baby, on the child. And there's good reason for that because, yes, it is true, they need the most care. And yes, babies are basically helpless. I wonder if that's the way God sees us, needing care, seeing us helpless because our sin is separating us from him. And Jesus even went on later to say in in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Sounds like Jesus liked children too. But if we were to hear a baby cry in, in, in our sanctuary, is that a reason that should annoy us? To see children skipping in our lobby, laughing, or even playing loudly in, in, in our activity center, should that in any way be a hindrance to us? Or should that be a reason for thankfulness? Should that be a reason for joy? Shouldn't that be a reason to look at them as little opportunities? So we can also influence them to, uh, to do great things later. At this time, you see, Jesus had not yet spoken a word. Jesus had not yet performed a miracle. Jesus had not yet begun to teach. But we are already seeing infinite power even in our infant Savior. Also in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 6, it says this of the wise men, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and and Ephah, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. You see, the wise men, they traveled a great distance to honor a king. But there's a little bit of irony in all this because you see, with all their great effort, this long distance, it was not an easy trip to make. But they were coming to honor the king of the Jews. Let me paint this picture for you. At this time, the Jewish people were not very well thought of at all. They were despised and dishonored, maybe because of their unique customs and beliefs, and also for their up and down success and prosperity. But they were also thought of as low and troublesome. I'm sure that that that's what the Roman Empire thought of them. And I'm sure they even thought of them as a conquered race. But it was remarkable that they would trouble themselves to honor an infant king, or more so, the king of the Jews. But you see, the star they followed was Christ's star itself. It led the wise men right to him. It moved in his direction. Brought them right to him. And it's sad when so many Christians, we are like signs pointing the way, but on our own account, 
we're not truly following it ourselves. Such were the chief priests in, in Jerusalem. And I'm going to talk more about this in just a minute. But they could tell where Christ was born. They could tell where the Messiah was born, but they never went to worship Him themselves. And they were indifferent altogether towards Him at His birth. They had the information, but they were not influenced by it whatsoever. So we need to ask ourselves this question this morning. Does Christ have influence on our lives? And do we in turn influence the lives of others? Years ago in, in the communist government in China, they commissioned an author to write a biography of the well-known and beloved missionary Hudson Taylor. However, they wanted this author to distort the facts and present him in a bad light. Tried to get him to, to discredit Hudson Taylor the best they could. But as the author was doing his research, something very interesting happened. Something neat happened. Because you see, the more research he did, the more he dug into Hudson Taylor's life, the more increasingly impressed by Taylor's character and godly life that this author became. And eventually, at the risk of losing his own life, he, he himself renounced his atheism. And he too became a follower. He too professed Jesus as Lord. The influence of a brave man named Hudson Taylor, a godly man, his life influenced another, brought, brought someone to Christ. And whether we realize it or not, you see, Christ's influence on us should influence the lives of others. Once again, Jesus was already influencing people. Some big stuff was starting to happen. Shouldn't we as Christians be doing the same? Shouldn't our influenced lives be influencing others? And if we are seeking Christ, the second question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we allowing Christ to change us? Are we allowing Christ to change us? Again in our text in Matthew 2, once again, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Israel had a king known as Herod the Great. Well, 
He was great at a few things. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on King Herod. You see, King Herod was a he could have been considered a great ruler, a great builder. He could have been considered a great administrator, great at politics. But he was also known for his great cruelty. Herod was very wealthy, politically gifted, probably very charismatic as well, probably good with words, and clever enough to remain in the good graces of several successive Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb, and his building projects were admired even by his foes. However, he loved power, and he had inflicted heavy taxes on the people. And even during his life, while suffering an illness that compounded his paranoia, he turned to cruelty and fits of rage and jealousy, and even killed some of his closest associates as well as family members, killing two sons and his wife. History tells us that Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, had this to say uh, uh, about Herod. It was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. That doesn't sound like a compliment, does it? And you see, Herod being troubled to begin with was totally in his character. You see, Herod wanted acceptance from the Jews as, as their king whom he ruled. But some things about Herod that we need to understand here. Herod was not an Israelite. Herod was an Edomite. Herod was not from the line of Jacob, much less the, uh, the, uh, the line of David. Yes, he, he, he too was a descendant of Abraham and Isaac, but not Jacob. With him being an Edomite, he was a descendant of Esau. A little background on, on, on Herod there. But you see, Rome recognized him as the king of Judea. And the Jews even tempered their, uh, their um, great hatred for him with the admiration of his architectural accomplishments, his building projects. And this improved the, even after the magnificent improvements made to the temple. Proverbs 29:22 tells us, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. How many of us here this morning can say that we have a longing to be accepted by others? To, uh, to be respected by others? Whether it's from our co-workers, family members, or even those whom we deem important. What are our reasons for the longing for this acceptance and respect? You see, Herod wanted to be accepted by Israel. So he acted in ways to drive them to fear rather than respect him. And the fact that all of Jerusalem was troubled is kind of significant because, you see, this was either due to the fact that the people of Jerusalem rightly feared this sort of paranoid outburst or temper tantrum from their king 
upon him hearing of a potential rival being born or the size of the wise men's caravan coming from the east. Proverbs 14:17 tells us, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The wise men came first to Jerusalem. Because I'm sure they assumed that, that the Jewish leaders and even their king would be aware and even excited about the birth of their Messiah. They had read it. So they came to, to Jerusalem thinking, hey, it's the time of his birth. It, it, it's a time of excitement. However, this was not the case at all. And this is the first contact that, that the Jewish religious leaders had with Jesus. You see, they understood what was wrote about him correctly. They had the biblical information. But you see, they failed to apply this to their lives. They failed to apply it. In other words, they failed to allow it to change them. Once again, it said in Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Once again, sadly, these so-called teachers of the law, people that, that had studied the law and studied the prophets from a very young age, these experts, or so-called experts, had the right information, but seemed personally uninterested in meeting the Messiah for themselves. How many can say that today so many are so similar? We indeed have all the right information. We live in, a, in an information age. We've got all the information we need right at our fingertips. But what do we do with that information? What do we do with the information that Scripture gives us? that the Word of God gives us? Are we keeping it to ourselves? Are we finding ways to twist it to suit us? To suit our moods? To suit our lifestyles? Or are we allowing it to mold us? To shape us? Are we allowing it to change us? Jeremiah 17.10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. It makes me wonder. I wonder if the wise men had have met the shepherds in Bethlehem. I wonder if they would have gotten better intelligence from them than what they got from the Jewish leaders from highly educated men. I wonder if they would have gotten more joy from them and more accurate information. You see, all Herod heard was a good Bible story about the birthplace of the Messiah. But, but you see, it did him no good. And there are times when we too can even dabble in, in theology. But it, 
but it does not bode well for us. Because I'm sure there are some who may be well instructed in our Bibles. But yet, are we truly living by, by the truth that we read? Are we transformed by the truth that we are reading? Are we being changed? Are we being transformed by what God tells us? Are we letting Christ transform us? The Apostle Paul had this to say in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, Herod, he, he, he claimed to, you know, the desire to worship Jesus. But he definitely had an alternate agenda. He was not willing to allow this, this good news to change him. How many of us this morning are watching? Are we allowing Christ to truly change us? How many of us have truly allowed Christ to, to transform us? In what ways has 2020 In what ways has God used it to try to transform us? To influence us? It's clear that Mary and Joseph changed. It's clear that the shepherds changed. The wise men changed. The disciples definitely changed the longer they spent with Jesus. And many others changed when they too met Jesus. But have we changed? Have we allowed Jesus to shake us up? Have we allowed him to do that? Have we allowed Christ to change us? The third question this morning is, if we are seeking Christ, we, we need to ask ourselves this. Are we bringing Christ our best? You know, I'm never going to forget... <laughs> In late August of 1999, I had not yet turned 21 years of age. And after two years at Somerset Community College, I was sitting in my first class at, at, at Kentucky Christian College, now Kentucky Christian University. And I had no idea just how special this particular class was going to be. I had no idea. This class was called Foundations of Christian Ministry. And then the professor walked in the room. When Dr. Robert Ford walked in the room, he had everybody's attention because he, because he had a lot of influence. And I learned that real quick. And I, and I quickly grew to have uh, the utmost respect for that man. But, but there is something that he said in that very first class that still rings true in, in my ears today. He said, I will not accept sloppy work because God did not send us a sloppy Christ. You see, Dr. Ford and I, we had a great relationship all, all four years at, at, at KCC. 
or KCU now. And our church even had the opportunity to enjoy Dr. Robert Ford this past fall whenever he came to speak at our Adair County Christian Convention. He stood here speaking to us. And what he said still rings true. God did not send us a sloppy Christ. In Matthew chapter 2, again 9 through 12, let's go to our text one final time. It says this, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The star continued to guide them yet again. And, and, and we can probably guess that the star appeared a long time before, guiding them to this general area. And when they visited Jerusalem, they visited, I'm sure, to gain more, more information. But yet the star appeared again, specifically to guide them. This was obviously a supernatural phenomenon. And when the star came to rest, it, it can mean only that the star itself moved to guide them to where Jesus was. And here we notice that Jesus is re referred to as a child. doesn't really matter how old he is. However, some biblical scholars will debate that he was probably between 6 and 18 months old. But one thing is interesting is that they were still living in Bethlehem. They never returned to Nazareth, or not yet. It says again in Matthew 2, um, at, at the last part of verse 11, Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Pretty extravagant gifts. Very expensive. And this was extremely common, especially in the East, that when, when one would appear before someone important, they would come bearing gifts. And considering who these men were and, and, and who they believed the, uh, the child to be, it was not surprising that they too would bring very lavish gifts. But you see, the gifts were not presented to Mary or Joseph, but they were presented to Jesus himself. Now the child Jesus, I'm sure he did not spend any of these precious gifts. However, his parents, I'm sure, used them wisely on Jesus' behalf and his benefit. Jesus would later tell us in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. I'm sure in the same way when we give to Jesus today, are we necessarily giving to Jesus himself or are we giving to his church when we're giving to his people? 
when, when we're giving to others? Are we using those gifts on his behalf? And when we give, it, it, it does not always have to be giving financially. It's not just that, you see. Our time, giving our time is a gift. Being willing to teach is a gift. Being, being willing to serve is a gift. And do we give our gifts joyfully, gladly, like the wise men did? And do we still go through great lengths and measures to give them? Do we give of our resources, our time, and our talents lovingly? Are we giving Jesus our best? The Apostle Paul had this to say in 1 Corinthians 13.3, If I give away all I have, and if I, do, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What good will it do others or to us or to the kingdom if we don't serve lovingly and cheerfully? How useful these gifts were to, to, uh, to Mary and Joseph, probably. Especially in the next coming months when, it, when they had to make the trip to Egypt and then back again. I find it interesting that whenever Gabriel first appeared to Mary, he said, fear not. Fear not, God is in control. God was already continuing to provide, taking care of them. He was providing the needs of Mary and Joseph. I also think he was even rewarding them for their faithfulness. During this year, I'm sure it's been I'm sure it's been hard to give, even joyfully and lovingly. But how many times has God reward us, rewarded us for our faithfulness? But more important than in their gifts is the fact that they worshipped Jesus. And it must have been a curious sight to see these impressive dignitaries, these highly educated dignitaries bowing before a young child and it doesn't matter who we are are we giving Christ our best so how do we respond towards Jesus how do we respond to Christ how have we responded to Christ in, in, in 2020 We could have been like Herod. Have we displayed hostility towards God and others? Have we been like the chief priests and these teachers of the law who were indifferent towards Jesus and having uh, uh, the information and the knowledge but we're not using it wisely? Or have we been like the wise men who sought out Jesus and worshipped him even at a great cost. I've been blessed to serve as your minister of youth and family minister for almost 13 years. 
And it's been a pleasure and an honor watching your children grow up. I'm so excited seeing what they're doing. And when they grow up to, uh, uh, to see the people that they're becoming. And I know things have been very limited this year. Or have they? But I'm going to tell you something very true. And it makes me very happy to say this. There are so many times when you're all's children and grandchildren totally knock my socks off. When they show me wisdom. When they show what they've learned and I see them applying it to their lives. And I don't and and I don't take credit for that. But you see, just a couple of months ago, I had an 11-year-old girl tell me this, okay? An 11-year-old girl informed me that she has grown closer to God this year, more than ever, even though things have been so different. Surprising, huh? An 11-year-old girl told me that. Well, in curiosity, I asked her, I said, can you tell me how? This is what she had to say. Because it has forced me to work harder to seek him. Wow. An 11-year-old girl said that. She took the same route as the wise men. She wasn't just sitting back. The wise men were not just satisfied, just gazing at a star. They did something about it. They actually got up and they followed it. They persevered in their search, nor did they get discouraged in their search when they ran into doubtful Jewish leaders. And they rejoiced and sensed an urgency to worship him now and not wait until later. Finally, when they worshipped, it was to give something. Not empty-handed. Adoration. Are we seeing a wonderful pattern here? Charles Spurgeon said it best. Those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance. I think, it, I think it can be safe to say that if our greatest need had, had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, then God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But you see, our greatest need was forgiveness. Our greatest, also a great need was influence. And also another great need was change. We were separated from God because of sin. 
God didn't like that. So God sent his best. He sent us a Savior. Are we in turn giving God, giving Christ our best? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. Thanking you for sending your precious son. You knew exactly what we needed. And you know exactly what we need even today. Father God, I know that 2020 is ending. But I do know that you are not done yet. Father God, in what ways have you attempted to influence us, to change us this year? In what ways in 2021 will you do the same? Lord, guide us to give us your best, to give you our best. Because that's what you've given us. You've given us your best. Help us to give you our best. Lord, you're an awesome God. Thank you for your word. Help us to be molded by it. To be changed by it. And help us to take your word and use it to influence others as well. Make that our mission. Make that our church's mission. Souls are our mission and Christ is our message. Help us to live that out. Help us to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.